Welcome to the Inside Events Podcast, brought to you by SwapCard. There's no better time to have exclusive conversations with the industry professionals who are reshaping the events industry. We're bringing you inside knowledge from industry leaders. Let's get started with your host, Megan Powers. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode five of the Inside Events Podcast by SwapCard. I'm your host, Megan Powers, and my company is Powers of Marketing. In addition to being a podcaster, I am a marketer providing strategy and execution, uh, primarily in the meetings and event space with a strong focus on event technology. I do want to say off the top, if you have any feedback for us, our Twitter for this show is at the event profs. So follow us there and let us know if you have any input or feedback. My co-host today is industry friend, Elizabeth Glau. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Um, okay. So those of you who don't know, she and I hosted, co-hosted a podcast uh, on marketing. Um, she, I still have the show Making a Marketer, but she has left us after two years, two wonderful years. Um, but um, she's off to greener pastures and all that kind of good stuff. So um, she and I will chat news and then she will help me interview our guest, uh, ben Wielgus about sustainability in the meetings and events industry. He's with Informa. All right. I'm going to read your bio. Is this weird being the, being the guest whose bio gets no, read? I love it. <laughs> awesome. It's all about me. Yeah. <laughs> Red. Okay. Elizabeth Glau brings 17 years of experience in the events industry with a decade of focus on event technology and innovation and five years of experience in strategizing and implementing experience design. She is looking for ways to connect and elevate our industry by researching the future of work, employee experience, human-centered design, also called design thinking, and exponential organizations, EXO. And where's the best place for people to find you online? So right now I've got a website up that's egcx.com, and that has links to all of the places online, because of course I try to be all of the places and do right. all of the things. Of course. <laughs> so that one, that one place is easy to find all of the things. So awesome. we'll just, uh, just start there. <laughs> yeah. And you're blessed with a, an unusual name as well too. So they can always just Google your name and all sorts of fun stuff will come up. Totally. You know, I, I have, you know, it's funny that I have actually found other Elizabeth Glaus, like oh, surprising really? to me, right? But since uh -huh. I was the first one on all of the social platforms, I at least got my name. You know, yes. Right, right. Yeah. So Elizabeth and I go back uh, many years. She was my customer uh, for a minute. Uh, and when she was a planner and I was selling audiovisual production, <laughs> it feels we, like it. <laughs> yeah. Um, as members of meeting professionals international, the MPI, uh, mm. San Diego chapter, she has since moved mm. around and mm. now she is in just outside Portland, right? Mm -hmm. Right on. Yeah. Okay. We're going to talk news. I thought that Elizabeth was the perfect person for the show because she has a huge heart for sustainability and for tech and for disruption and for everything. And, uh, all of those kinds of things. And so our, the first article we're going to talk about is the, it was from this week, actually. Um, it was put out the day before um, the, the person um, called out in it, uh, or the person who they, they were interviewing. It's an MPI article, Dispelling Common Experience Design Beliefs. And it was a preview of a session that actually got presented yesterday, as we're recording this, um, with, for the International Congress and Convention Association's annual Congress that's going on in Houston right now. 
And um, this article was a precursor to the session uh, that Timothy Simpson uh, put on. He's brand and creative engagement chief strategist. That's a great title. Creative brand and creative engagement chief strategist. That is a long title at Merit's Global Events. Um, so he basically, it's it's interesting because he was going to be interviewing a panel of all of the like sort of the heads of state, right? Of all the major, all the major meeting associations. Um, he said, experience, yeah, experience is less about the elements. It's looking at the journey, not just the design. Design the journey, not just the destination. Uh, and then he also said, stop designing events without knowing guest preferences and understanding them as people. He said, doing so leads to foolish choices. So I find this really interesting as a, conference on for uh, for venues basically right like these are all pe mm -hmm. convention centers and congress centers uh all, all over the world that are um holding events um but I yeah, think that caught me <clears throat> that caught me attention too because you know clearly it's it's targeting organizers still but you know it is yeah this this particular conference where this is going to be um presented um but the, the thing i thought about it um later was thinking that service businesses like hotels and venues have always understood human-centered design um, even though they didn't call it that so now you've got you know more tech companies that uh, you think of like they're making a product right but they're starting to use these frameworks uh, such as service design which is kind of what hotels and venues have always done but again didn't call it that um, and now they're using those frameworks to understand how everything that they do impacts the experience that their customer has and then how each piece uh, behind the scenes is, so I'll, I'll give you a funny example, right? So if you ever worked in a hotel or, you know, obviously if you're in our industry, you know that we call it front of house and back of house, right? right? Any kind of like hotel or restaurant or whatever. So these, the people that have developed this, you know, service design framework call it, you know, front of stage and back of stage. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So you can, you know, like you see the, you know, the parallels, but yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think there is an, I think there's maybe a lot to learn from, you know, the service businesses that are in our industry that we just have thought of as maybe completely different, you know, types of businesses, but they know how to service the customer and they know, and granted, some do a better job than others, right? right. But know how to connect the pieces behind the scenes, uh, you know, to, to better serve their customers. Right. Well, and the kind of that just got me thinking that at first I thought, well, it's an interesting uh, uh, angle to get into this from it, it, it being the venues because this industry has been um, we've been talking about this for a long time about you know experience design and well not just that but it being an experience not an event. Right. But the interesting thing is is that typically the venue is the first point of contact for an event. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing that a an event organizer does is pick their venue mm -hmm. typically right and it may be three three years ahead or whatever so I think it's really interesting if these venues can have staff that can be more proactive in helping these event organizers design the experience rather than just providing the venue there's a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, well, and in a perfect world, you've designed the experience you want your customer to have before you contract a venue. But as we know, right. you know, if you've got a large enough conference, you have to book three, five, 10 years out, you know, whatever, or right. 
or it's like, or the opposite, right? There's no, there's no happy medium. Either you're booking 10 years out or it's like your boss comes to you and is like, we need this event to happen in a month. Right. And then you're just scrambling to like, okay, what's available and forget any kind of, you know, intentional event design and mapping the customer journey at that point. Right. Like right. you're just throwing it all together, like making it happen. And so I would love to see, you know, more of a shift where, you know, we can be more intentional and, um, you know, design that journey. But unfortunately that, you know, the, the planners that are in these positions, they, they just don't have that luxury. So I don't know how do we, you know, change that. Right. Well, but, and let's talk a little bit about your role as, what was your title? Experience manager or experience, uh, attendee experience manager? Yeah. So it's funny, right? So when the last association I worked for, my title was attendee experience manager. So, so literally it was this kind of like idea of, you know, customer experience or whatever you want to call it, but it clearly was focused on a big conference, right? That's why it was attendee experience. Right. And so I was getting this, you know, this kind of um, experience experience these words just become meaningless right <laughs> when we use them like use yeah. so many times and in so many different ways so that's the other thing i'm learning now is even with even outside of our industry just in kind of the design world if you will they're all calling all these things something different like it means something different to different people and so what i've been spending the last few months is just figuring out like okay what what does this mean to me right like what do i what do i want to call this like who's you know, whose frameworks do I, you know, like, you know, like the best. But yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a, a role for a few years with an association. Um, it, they committed the resources, you know, to looking at that, you know, the customer journey, you know, what is, what are, how are we better serving our vulnerable populations, you know, within, within our, um, within our event. And one of the things from the article uh, he wrote about what, what did he say here? The more insight we can gain prior to design, the more impact, impactful we can be. He wrote adding, we need to get beyond thinking we know our audience because we did a post-event survey. So, oh my God, like don't even get me started yeah. on <laughs> the post-event survey indicating whether the, you know, the event was good. Like, oh my God. So I did, so at the association I was working for, like that was one of the huge projects I did was revamping the survey, but but taking it at, you know, at a completely different level, what, what is the data that you want to, you know, collect ultimately and starting to move towards that, the idea of personalization. So what's the data I can collect on my attendees when they register, right? And then, so design as, as best we can the event. And then we have the survey that then ties that data like, okay, people who describe themselves as this, or this was their goal for attending the conference, they answered this survey question this way. And so you're able to get, you know, much richer data about who your people are and how different populations of your event experience the event, right? And so, yes, I, I was super excited about, you know, that type of work. And, you know, I, I think it is an area that, um, you know, I, there's just huge opportunity, right? There's nothing but upside there, right? Like right. tons of work we can all do, big or small in, in that kind of, in that area. Right. Well, and hopefully we'll see you impacting that as you move forward in your career. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I did, I did love doing that kind of work. So, you know, potentially it is something I could do, you know, right. do a, like contract work. Right. But I don't mean like as a, as the person, I mean, as in, in, as an influence, like industry wide mm. is to help disrupt yeah. and, um, I mean, it, and it shouldn't be considered disruption, but Hey, on that, was the venue helpful? With, with you, with helping you be, I mean, be honest, but kind. 
you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to remember, you know, uh, a good example, good or bad. Um, I don't know that I, we were working, this was a really large conference, right? This was 20,000 attendees, right? right? So we were limited to, and again, this is part of the, this is part of the problem, right? Is you're at that size, you're limited to really like a handful, maybe a dozen convention centers around the country. Like if you're limited to the U.S., right? And you're not going abroad. And so, you know, it's somewhere, some convention centers are better than others. Right. You know, we all we had a lot of other partners, you know, helping us with the logistics, with the with the on site piece as well. Um, actually, since, you know, since this guy works for Merits, I'll just say, you know, this we used um, experience specifically, which is part of Merits. And, and they would they would actually somebody on their team would help us with a lot of the kind of dealing with the, ho the uh, well, the hotels to an extent, but the convention center and that kind of thing. So, you know, I yes and no. Right. Like I tried to, again, influence where I could you know, where I thought we could improve that experience, but, you know, sometimes, like, you know, you have some wins and some losses, like, right, you know, like, like anything, anything else. else. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, hopefully he sparked some uh, interest in the attendees at, at, at yeah. ICA World this week uh, to, to do better. I think it's definitely a topic worth talking about. Okay, yeah. so moving on to the next we, this is a skipped article that airlines care less about the environment than they will lead you to believe, um, which I thought was perfect. Um, this just came out last week, given that we are talking about sustainability on the show today with our guests. Um, and actually, we have someone, Southwest was, was one of the only major airlines not mentioned in this article, which I find interesting, <laughs> but, um, at uh, the South Coast EdCon is here in San Diego for um, MPI next week. And we have a speaker from Southwest talking about the airline industry, which I think is really neat because I don't think we, we rarely get no. airline folks who, who get involved um, with our education conferences. So I'm excited. Yeah, no, about that. no, they're they're Yeah. They're always involved with um, like, so when I was in Southern California, LABTA, so the business travel right. association folks, right. they're always there. They're big players there. Of course. But no, with MPI and stuff, like, no, we never see them. So that's cool. Yeah. I'm glad you yeah. get a different perspective there. Yeah, for sure. And I'm a Southwest girl. So, um, <laughs> so I'm a fan like, girl. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hand out drink tickets in your session. Right. Oh, they might. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, basically it calls out the kind of, the the talk about doing for the earth, but really it's kind of a bottom line thing. And, um, so I'm just going to give a couple of quotes and this, this guy from Spirit Airlines, used to be a Spirit, um, he's currently with Frontier Air, and it said, packing on Spartan and light seats reduces per passenger emissions, but this guy, Biffle, loved that strategy well before most travelers worried about sustainability because it saves money, right? Try to, try yeah. to cr claim sustainability in the fact that you have two inches between you know, your, your knees, if you're lucky, and the seat, um, and you know, the whole, this whole thing that these, these smaller airlines are, are like, you know, charging you for carrying on. And basically they're, they're trying to reduce weight, right. And they're trying to fit as many people as they can so that they fly fewer flights, which will mean less emissions, but really then that means they make more money. <laughs> <laughs> right. the bottom which, line. which 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 is funny like this all actually goes back to experience design right yes. this is why we all hate flying right right it is a freaking nightmare basically right like they have made it the absolute worst experience you know that they can so yes so a lot of so beyond you know airlines a lot of companies will go green quote unquote or you know doing like 
reduce their environmental impact if they find a way like that it'll save them money right, right. they're not they're not doing it because it's the right thing to do now right. and this is you know this this uh term called greenwashing we used to hear a lot of like more about this um well i used to hear more about this a long time ago i think maybe some companies got called out for it and so i think now they're a little bit more careful to just you know not just say that they're green you know unless they really can point to something specific that they did i think now the marketers have just gotten better at taking a tiny little thing and being like oh look <laughs> like like you were saying like oh look at all these things we did to be green and it's like well yeah, yeah but you know yeah uh, i don't know um well so basically the crux of it are the airlines are they're talking a big game um but each of them uh their each of their practices really is counter to it and and demand is up and so as a consumer you know when demand goes up prices can in theory go down and so i don't know i like they're filling demand and so the environment's affected more and more i guess you know they're they're making incremental changes in terms of you know like there are some electric planes being built now but those aren't going to go very far and then um, yeah. you know, different kinds of, uh, gas that are, you know, that's better for the yeah. environment. One of the quotes yeah. from there, it said, says for bigger change, we may need more government action. Germany is moving swiftly, substantially raising taxes, though long haul carriers like Lufthansa will see far less tax on a percentage basis than short haul airlines. France has also been planning to implement an eco tax and the EU may take action. So what do you, what do you think about this? Like, I think, you know, it made me think of, Flying in Europe, we used to take the train, right? But now mm -hmm. it's so cheap oh, yeah. to fly. So would you, would you like, you know, have take a fifth longer to get there and have it cost a, a fifth of the cost to fly instead of take the train? As a consumer, I know I, I do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the low, the low fares have definitely made it more accessible for people to, you know, travel by plane. And, and you know, I think I read a long time ago, there was a point, there was, you know, when flying first started, it was only rich people that could afford to fly, right. right? And then it was at some point, it, whatever shifted, I don't know all the, you know, uh, the it's finances, be, you know, yeah. yeah, behind all this, but like at some <laughs> point, you know, it became more, and, it, and as we've seen with these low cost airlines, you know, it, it, you know flying is, is like take, taking a bus at this point, right? right. It's like totally. pretty much like, you know, it's not like, it's not a, you know, thing that only people with money can do, but on the, um, on the regulation front, that's really interesting because, and, and that's great, you know, if, if Europe can uh, create some change there and create some incentives, you know, that's that's awesome. I don't, I don't see us doing that here. I mean, honestly, we used to talk about this a lot <clears throat> back, back in the days of the Green Meetings Industry Council. Um, there are other elements of events besides air travel that create huge environmental impact. And it kind of seemed like at some point, the government just wouldn't allow us you know, to do this anymore, but it hasn't happened yet. I mean, right. that was, you know, 10 years ago. Right. We were right. talking about that and nothing's happened yet. So, I well, just, I and we'll, we'll dig into that with Ben in the second half. Um, yeah, Ryanair actually was called out specifically in the article. Basically, he mm -hmm. went as far to say as you're actually with those low fares, you're causing people to travel more. So, mm -hmm. it's not just oh, like, yeah. oh, we're, it's cheaper. So, we're to get from here to there, but it's like, oh, Totally. It's only fifty dollars round trip. I'm gonna go there, you know. Um, right. But so. then, you know, but then, like, there's there's a benefit, right, to the the travel economy of the place that they're visiting, Correct. or whatever, right? So it's like, you know, how Big do you picture. weigh all these things out, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Well. Okay. When we'll we'll dig into that a little bit with 
Ben. All right. So that is it for news. And now we move on to our guest. Hello and welcome to the second half of the Inside Events podcast by Swapcard. We want to welcome our guest today, Ben Wielgus with Informa. Welcome, Ben. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. I uh, understand you're in London. We thought you were going to be in New York, but travel didn't happen. So thanks for joining us at this late hour <laughs> there in <Yeah>. London. <laughs> um, we appreciate it. Okay, so I'm going to read your bio and then we will dig right in. Ben has made a career of making sustainability a competitive differentiation for business. He's a dedicated sustainability professional working to make value creation for multiple stakeholders something that business wants to and can deliver. Ben previously spent 12 years with KPMG consulting on sustainability strategy in consumer goods, retail, banking, construction, government, and other areas. This built on experience across strategic commercial intelligence, business modeling, audit, transaction services, and integration advisory. He has a particular passion for taking the data and strategies from the sustainability agenda and turning them into stories that leadership support. Those in business are inspired by and in turn want to work with. Well, that is, that's a, that's a lot. I, I do, I appreciate the data. We talk data on this show. Mm -hmm. Um, quite a bit because that's kind of like what it boils down to, right? Like how do you show, you can talk all you want about we're going to use LED lights and we're going to, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, but, but like show me, you know, I think is the kind of the feeling that, that a lot of people have. Um, and so I have a quick question for you both that I want you each to try to answer. I'm going to let Elizabeth go first. So Ben, you have a second to think about it. <laughs> um, what do, what is sustainability? I want to know, like, because people think, oh, you know, like, we're not going to use straws anymore, plastic straws, mm -hmm. and, you know, like, what, so I kind of want to know, we're going to maybe not print programs anymore to, whatever. So we know that our industry is responsible for a lot of waste, and so the, the movement on this front is super important. So, Elizabeth, three sentences or less, what is sustainability to you? <clears throat> Um, yeah, so during my time uh, when I was involved with the Green Meetings Industry Council about 10 years ago, right, there were people in our industry talking about sustainability. Around that time, I came up with the, or I was introduced to the concept of the three Ps. So people, planet, profit. So, you know, for a business to be financially sustainable, right, you do have to make money, right, like to stay in business. So there is that definition of sustainability. Um, today, you know, a lot of us think about sustainability as just environmental impact, um, but more and more we're starting to incorporate the people part of it as well and making sure that you're making a good social impact. So that's, that's the definition I've always liked and I've kind of just, you know, carried that forward, but I know a lot of people have different definitions of it. She didn't really follow the three sentence guideline now, did she, Ben? Oops. <laughs> I know I was like, it's going to be one sentence. I'm going to tell you what it is. But then, of course, I like babble on about it. I have to describe what I'm going to say before I say it and then tell you what I said. <laughs> All right. Obviously. <laughs> All right. Challenge. Ben, can you do better? <laughs> I could give you the, the 20 sentence version, which is my famous one, but we'll give you the short one. Okay. So, the official definition that I really like is that sustainability is meeting the needs of today without compromising our ability to meet our future needs. Ooh. So, you know, that, Ooh, like that and the next generation need to think much longer term. And that's where the three P's become so important that you talked about, Elizabeth, because if we do this 
just for profit, then we're not going to be good for our people or the planet. But if we just try and save the world without making sure we pay the bills at the end of the day, we'll all be sleeping out on the street. So balance is the key thing to me for sustainability. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And that's actually the, in that Skift article, we talked about like, basically these airlines are, are talking the talk, like they're doing stuff, but really anything that they're doing that's helping them and the sustainability front is making, is making, was actually probably making them money, more money to begin with. And then they put a sustainable spin on it. <laughs> yeah. um, but there's nothing wrong with making money from sustainability. Right. It's just about making sure we do it in the right way. Absolutely. In fact, we talked about that um, on the, the news for, you, if you want to go back and listen to episode four, um, we talked a little bit about that and how there is, there is profit, there is money to be made in low emissions. Um, and so companies that are making moves towards that are, um, are going to be, are going to be doing really well. Okay, so my, my first main question for you, Ben, is that um, Informer revamped how they approached sustainability a few years ago, maybe about the time they hired you, my, I'm guessing. Um, and you all put out a sustainability report called The Role We Play. What would you say is the biggest impact um, meetings and event, the meetings and events industry has on the environment that we're, we're trying to combat? And can you briefly summarize what the UN's sustainable development goals are? I know I'm asking us to be brief, but we only have a half hour. <laughs> okay, so in brief, uh, Informa, like many of the people in the meetings industry, we exist to connect people with networks and knowledge so they can go on and make decisions. So more than the paper we use, the, the trade show waste that we create, even the carbon footprint, the most important thing we do in the world is help people learn more, know more, and do more with that. So actually, if we can stimulate people around sustainability and the value that comes from that, we can make the biggest impact on the environment and society and profits. And the Sustainable Development Goals are a brilliant way of talking about this. They are 17 goals that the UN and business have agreed that we should all aim for as a society by 2030. And these are all about fixing big problems in the world, but they estimate that it's gonna take $12 trillion to do that. So people are going to need to meet to discuss how to fix these problems they're going to need knowledge and information. They're going to need trade shows to find those solutions. So there's a fantastic business opportunity in addressing these big goals in the world. And we know that people want to get together to solve big problems. And we're the industry that can bring them together to do that. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good take on it. Um, so Informa has acquired several companies over the years, including UBM, uh, which dramatically changed the size of your company. So how do you maintain the same standards uh, when you, you know, pick up a show and the, the planning's already in progress? Um, or you want to talk about, like, do you have different strategies for different shows depending on the audience you know, of that show? Or do, are they pretty standard across your portfolio? I like to think in terms of, of maturity spectrums. So certain industries, um, particularly things like the Natural Products Expo shows that came with us with the Penton acquisition, they are right at the heart of sustainability in the natural foods industry and the discussion on climate change. Other events in our portfolios are perhaps earlier in that journey, but are still helping industries with recruitment, more diverse workforces, training the next generation of talent. So each event tends to have its own strength. And what we started doing now, we've got to the size we are, is trying to bring in a standard approach to meet the expectation of a modern audience. Um, we call that our Sustainable Event Management System, or ISEMS. And we've uh, just rolled out eight weeks ago, 12 things we think every event should be doing to meet 
the needs of that audience. And we call that the fundamentals. That's great. Yeah, I, I think it makes sense to have, you know, some standards in place. Mm. But yeah, knowing that you've got, you know, some shows that are leading the way in, in a lot of respects, right? Like, certainly don't hold them back. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we have shows like Green Builds who partner with the U.S. Green Building Council. Yeah. They, they've always been incredibly successful at that green agenda. Yeah. But we also have shows like the Game Developer Conference or um, Black Hat, which have really focused on bringing to light some of the taboo topics in the sector and, and helping create a conversation around them, such as dealing with um, stress or drug abuse or sexual harassment in the sector and how to upskill people to move on from those and, and, and deal with them in, in a an effective way and they turn out to be some of our highest rated content you know helping the sustainability of the people who work in that industry okay so i have a big this is a big question uh and uh i i just said i'm curious what what do you what's the number one way that you that you think that um informa is making a difference in sustainability for the industry at large that's a big <laughs> question um for our industry in terms of meetings and events, I think one of the biggest ways that we can make a difference is by sending a really clear signal to our supply chain that this is the way we think the future of the industry is going and we'd really like you to come with us. Because if, if between us, Emerald, Reed and a few of the other players, we can all say this is how we'd like the future to be, it'll send a really strong investment signal to all of the supply chain, be it venues or general service contractors or, or other suppliers to say actually, you can invest in this stuff that makes more sustainable stands or more sustainable prints and we'll buy it because we all say we want it. And that's where working together across the industry, I think is so powerful. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I worked with Oracle um, on their open world conference and I know Paul Salinger, I'm sure you know, Paul mm -hmm. um, and Jeff Chase is a good friend of mine too. So um, they, they, um, he, really led the charge in basically forcing the city of San Francisco to make change and forcing the convention center to make change. So there is also great value, I think, in, uh, in buyers with, big, with deep pockets to, to force it upon the this convention centers and the areas um, that they're in. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't use the word force too often. We'd like to think it's collaborative, but um, <laughs> one, of the, one of the stories, if there's time to talk about it, is... Yes, there, we, um, where well, I say we, you mentioned Jeff Chase there. So last summer, uh, Jeff Chase and I um, convened about 25 heads of sustainability from across the global events industry in an initiative we called CBIG, which was the Sustainable Events Big Industry Goals. And the idea was to get 25 people who are the biggest players in sustainability in the industry together in a room to talk about what the future of sustainability in our industry could be and what problems we could solve together that we couldn't solve individually. So that might be the problems of carpet or signage or, or, or materiality assessments or standard data flows. And that group actually now with, with several partners is about to launch its first project where several different partners are co-funding sustainable solutions together as an industry. And I think that's the first time we've ever been able to do that in this way. That's amazing. Yeah, I saw Jeff at IMEX and I said, I thought you were retired. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> Jeff will never retire. He loves it too much. <laughs> well, oh, and, and that's I, awesome. I, I was like, hey, I am having Ben on on my sh on the show because you were already scheduled. And, and I was like, do you want to co-host with me? And he's like, oh, I don't. He just he, he's like, I don't, I don't think so. I go, oh, I do all the prep. You wouldn't even have to. He's like, 
yeah, okay. I mean, anything for you, Megan, but I could just tell he was like, not, <laughs> oh. he was a little too nervous to. So you get me instead, Ben. Well, and I know, you know, I knew you had your, your GMIC background. Speaking of that, is it, is it defunct? Is GMIC no longer? The, the EIC, the, the EIC, which was formerly known as CIC, took it over oh. some years back. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's defunct in that it's not its own, you know, separate thing anymore. But okay. Mariella McElwraith is kind of leading the, the charge there. And that actually leads right into the next question I have for you, Ben, which is about certifications. Um, you know, are there any, uh, like the, you know, they're trying to revamp the certification over there under the EIC. Are there any, like that one or others that you think event organizers should pay attention to or learn more about? Yeah, for us, there, there are three standards that we really care about. Um, the first is the ISO 2012-1 standard that was developed by the Olympics in London, so one of the most sustainable Olympics in history. We have about 15 shows in Informa that are certified to that, uh, mainly in Europe, because um, it tends to be stronger there. In the US, we're now trialing the new EIC standards, which were launched about a month ago for event organizers, and three of our events are going for the certification on that, working with Mar Mariella as well. And then we have our own in-house system as well, which is probably quite similar to the EICs, which measures across our five different sustainability pillars. And, and that's a 40-point checklist to see how well shows are doing against our own standards as well. Did you did you talk about your pillars or did I read that in, in an article about you? you? You read it actually. I haven't I haven't talked about okay, it. Okay, so yeah, I was I, I know I saw it somewhere. So tell us more about the pillars. Do tell. Yeah. So um, th there's a thing in sustainability called a materiality assessment where you look at a whole bunch of issues, anywhere between five and five hundred, and you rank them based on what's most important. And for us, when we do that, we we start to understand the priority of issues in our sector, and we've we've grouped those into five pillars. The most basic one, looking after the environment. We all depend on that natural um, planet to keep us going. We use natural resources, we want to eat food, and it's the one that the public most immediately care about. It's the one that investors first ask us about. Second up is our colleagues, because we need them to make sure we're a successful business and we want to make sure they're engaged and enjoy their time here at Informa. Third is the communities we work in, and that's not really volunteering or charitable donations. You know, we do that really because our colleagues want to work for a business that cares about this. But recognizing that when we bring an event to town, we create jobs, we create prosperity, or we create congestion and pollution. So we can be a really good partner to the host cities if we focus on that. Th those are the three traditional bits of sustainability. But the next two up that we think make the biggest difference in the world are the relationships we have with our customers and how we bring content to them, either on the trade show floor, in education sessions, in networking groups, but that ability of meeting professionals to help connect people with those networks and knowledge that we talked about earlier. I think that's the biggest difference we can make in the world. And therefore, that's our most important pillar. It sits at the heart of everything we do. Well, that's uh, amazing. Um, and, and so th these are the things that your team is charged with thinking about as you approach every client relationship and event that you work on? We try. Um, yeah. And <laughs> I know, know it's, it's, a, it's a lot. It's a lot, but yeah. It's, it's part of it is that I think, particularly in the US, sustainability is so associated with green and therefore often our relationships are, are most with the operations teams. And the step change we tried to make three years ago when I joined was to really start engaging with the marketing and content teams as well. And even the sales teams 
to see if this is a way of building much stronger relationships with our attendees as well. Because we know attendees want us to be green, but actually more importantly, if they're, especially if they're paying money and time to be here, they want to know how they fix these big problems, whether it's about healthcare, whether it's about construction, whether it's about supporting artists. Everywhere you seem to go in the meetings industry, I find people have got a problem they're trying to deal with and they come to our events or our meetings to figure out what the solution to that is. Right. Well, you know what's interesting? We had on uh, episode two, we had Peter from Comicsposium mm. on, and he he mentioned how the difference, because I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the difference between the U.S. and, and Europe, and obviously there are many. Um, but he, he said that a lot of the trade shows, generally speaking, um, in, in Europe have been more focused on the attendee and not as, a, as focused on the exhibitor. Or, um, and so I would, I would think that also there should, there would be a, a lot of opportunity there, right, to, to work with the exhibitors and those, those who are, um, I mean, attendees don't have to pay to attend, right? It's the money that's funding the attend for the most part for, for the, for the shows, the way that it works there, which is kind of the reverse of here. It's like, actually everybody, you have to pay for everything in the United States, <laughs> generally speaking. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I must admit, um, Jeff Chase at, at Freeman taught me a lot of what I know in the events industry because I'm quite new in the industry. It's, it's been a real education. And one thing I've started to realize is this very interesting tension between whether we focus on the exhibitor or whether we focus on the customer in the industry. And, and you know, getting that balance right is about long-term economic sustainability. We have events where it's largely funded by exhibitors. We have events where it's largely funded by attendees. We have our own comic exposium equivalent called Fan Expo. And I think in B2B world, we focus on the exhibitors to the extent of keeping them happy, even if the customers aren't having a great time. And that is not a sustainable show. Right. So we need to make sure that actually if the customers are happy and they're getting what they want and the exhibitors are playing a role in that, then everybody wins. Right. Yeah, and and again, I, I think I said, Peter, I meant Simon Foster. Ah, okay. Yeah. Sorry. You, yeah. Apologies. Do you want to uh -huh. redo that? <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Um, yeah, but I think we, we're better served to like care about all of it, right? Care about yeah. every, every one of them. Everyone matters. Um, yeah, libraries. and I think the, 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 the sort of the fan expo and the Comic-Con world is, is a fascinating one because it was built on the back of celebrity and on the back of, of buying the latest collectible. And that industry has radically changed over a decade. And now it's about a sense of community and, and a place people can and discover their passions and share them with others and find a real sense of belonging. And you know, if that creates social cohesion in the world, again, we're really helping with that people pillar that we talked about at the start. Right, absolutely. Okay, so I, uh, we are sponsored by a technology company, and so I always have to add tech in to the combo. So I wanted to, um, I wanna see if, what, what you think is the best way that technology can play a part in reducing the carbon footprint. So technology is so important. It's, it's really something we're investing in heavily here in terms of how we engage with customers and how we speak. The first thing I think is, is that technology is gonna bring solutions to digital meetings which mean that we can talk in ways that are you know, electronically enabled we don't have to sit on a plane in a metal tube bring, breathing in other people's germs we don't have to emit all that carbon but we're also human oh, beings and we want to be face to face mm -hmm. so i think what we'll find is that the quick meetings the the short visits perhaps are going to die out and instead what we'll have is lots more digital communication enabled by technology but then the more 
focused festivalized events where everyone gets together for one big thing and, and that could be how our industry helps save the world is you can actually save carbon by having meetings all in one place at the same time if we just focus it in one or two areas right well that that would be like the south by southwest of of the of the world right like they are it's music it's tech it's i mean there are so many different things so i like that idea i would go to that yeah yeah, because yeah. it's really worth your time traveling to an event where you spend a week there and you do everything you need to do and you see everybody you need to see and you have a great time and you get your CPD points and everything else. Yeah, well, but having technology that helps you do it smarter um, yeah. in terms of, you know, using AI to figure out who you need to meet with and um, all of these kinds of really cool um, things that are available, um, using them correctly uh, in, in, in ways. and and in educating our attendees to right to to like download the app before you go and and to do that upfront work because it really is a, a combination of of the online and the offline um, that makes the magic when you when you do it um, you know before during and after we've saved hundreds of thousands of dollars by reducing printing because now digital show guides are getting to a point where they actually do work quite well. You know, we can find what we need. And then as we move into digital product libraries as well, I think we'll find they become the real future that saves us hundreds of thousands of dollars on many different shows. Yeah, no question. No question. So you, do you have like one big hairy goal that you want to uh, accomplish that you want to do what in your, in your, in this role? So, sorry, I'm, I'm laughing because uh, I've literally spent three days of meetings talking about our, what we call our big, hairy, audacious goals. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so much, much, like, much like the uh, SDGs are aiming for 2030 goals, we find a lot of businesses are, are reaching their 2020 sustainability goals and now setting those 2030 goals. We hear about Unilever halving its plastic use. We hear about people going carbon neutral. And Informa will we'll be making a few announcements in the next few months about what we're doing. But one of the things I think is incredibly exciting, particularly here in Europe, is we're helping educate exhibitors on how to eliminate disposable stands. For every disposable stand that we can stop an exhibitor using, so that's a stand that's only used once and then thrown away, yeah. we uh, save the equivalent of an entire household's annual trash here in the UK. So if we can get rid of a hundred of those on a show, we means we can build the show faster. It's cleaner. Most of the accidents happen on building disposable stands. So if we can get rid of those again, mm. people are safer. Um, and we might even be able to have fewer move-in days, which means a much more efficient show. I think if we can set a big, hairy, audacious goal around really trying to reduce the, the number of disposable stands that are being built in the world, we'll have a huge impact on sustainability, but we'll also be operationally more efficient, we'll be more economically efficient, and everyone's going to be able to do trade shows much better. Right. That's awesome. Well, that's, I, like, that's always been the best goal, but as you kind of laid out all the components of it, I love that you found those other operation, like other reasons to do it besides just, you know, that it's less of an impact. Cause I think that helps you tell that story. Yeah. It's really funny because when you first talk to exhibitors about this, you'll, you'll all know, and the people listening will know a lot of exhibitors, especially in, in, in Europe and Asia, they, they want a custom stand because they think it'll be unique, but because they're all buying them out of catalogs, I've seen seven stands in a row that are all identical because they bought the same page of the catalog. So, we can do amazing things with modular stuff now, either with Show Ready or with the new cardboard booths. And there's, there's no reason we shouldn't be able to promote this. And we found that a lot of exhibitors, that their frustration on moving is the fear of not being ready on time. 
or the fact that they're next to a booth which is still building so their nice newly cleaned booth ends up being filthy because someone's done some sanding next door to it so i think you know by doing this we can actually just move the industry forward and, and hope hopefully educate people that you know custom is not always better Right, for sure. Or, Amazing. I mean, custom, yeah, reusable potentially. But mm. I will say that uh, Elizabeth and I um, both were involved with a, with a tech startup and that uh, got the opportunity for the first two years to be in these innovation zones um, or, you know, tech, tech startup zones, which were turnkey. And I appreciated that so much. Just being able to show up and have the stand ready to go, I think is, it's major. And it's less, it's like, obviously it was a lot less expensive as well too. Yeah. So, so there's that um, potential um, as well. So perfect. Well, I like it. And I like that, that, that the term big hairy gold didn't, wasn't like a weird American thing that I just sprung on you. <laughs> that you guys actually really using that term. <laughs> um, I think I hang around with Americans often enough. I, I can translate. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Okay, well, believe it or not, that is time. And I can't even thank you enough, um, Ben, for taking the time to join us on the, the Inside Events podcast. Uh, hopefully, um, you will listen back and, and know that you did uh, a great job of informing our listeners of um, what Inform is up to and really what the industry should be thinking about in terms of, of sustainability and to try not to just... How, think of that word as the same old whatever whatever you ever thought of it before so yeah it was really really good stuff thanks ben. yeah yeah My pleasure to join you awesome and then thank you elizabeth as well You're for, for joining me like the old days um here on a new show so yeah we're Aww. just five episodes in so um we are we are young but have some great things planned so i want to thank everyone for listening this has been episode five of the Inside Events podcast by Swapcard, and we will catch you next time. Tweet at us with the hashtag Inside Events, and be sure to subscribe to get each episode as they drop.